Today we're talking to Lou Casano III, AE at Channel Advisor, about how to move from a commodity supplier to a strategic advisor. When it really boils down to it, you know, as a sales professional, what we want from our prospects is for them to take us seriously, right? I deal with this when I prospect into, you know, VPs of sales or a chief revenue officer, or, you know, even a chief marketing officer, depending on what kind of company, you know, how they, you know, run and manage the sales development or the prospecting function at their business, right? One thing I'm always thinking is, how do I get them to look at me as a resource instead of a salesperson? And it really, you know, at the root of it, the reason why people don't want to take meetings, typically, you know, there's a bunch of reasons, but one of the big ones, I would say 80% of the reason, if I had to put a number on it, is they don't look at you as a resource. So even if it's not timely for them right now, they don't want to talk to you because they don't really believe that you understand their business and can actually give them guidance around areas that you are an expert at that they may not be an expert at. And that's really what it comes down to is moving from you know, this commoditized supplier, which even if you sell something unique, you can get, you know, you can get lumped into being a commodity supplier. Even if you do something really unique, you have a unique offering, you have really good brand differentiation because it's really the prospect's point of view. If they look at you as a commodity, you're a commodity. And the big thing is moving from commodity supplier to strategic advisor. And I heard about this concept from the guy I'm about to interview uh, today that you're going to listen to. And before I get to that, my name is Jason Bay. I'm host of Blissful Prospecting. And what I like to do in this podcast is really help you think outside the script with your prospecting approach and share proven tactics and strategies from quota-carrying reps and sales professionals and sales leaders on how you can use these tactics and strategies to land more meetings with your ideal clients, because that's what it's all about. Today, I'm talking to Lou Casado, the third He's an account executive at Channel Advisor, and the way that I got connected, which you'll hear a little bit more about, was I just reached out to him on LinkedIn because he liked one of the posts I put up, I believe, and said, hey, how are things going, dude? And he said, things were going really great. So I always love interviewing you know, quota-carrying reps, like people actually out there doing it, especially if they're seeing a good amount of success, which he is. And he brought up this idea to me, you know, moving from commodity supplier to strategic advisor. I thought it was super cool, and it's not something I've talked a lot about on this podcast. And we're going to dig into how he approaches cold outreach, sequencing, how he gets an executive's attention, and also how to multi-thread into enterprise accounts. So if you're working large mid-market or enterprise accounts, how do you get multiple people to take meetings with you and and to really you know, be on your side and help you get the deal moving through if it makes sense? So this is going to be a fun one. Before you tune into this, quick reminder, check the show notes. There's a couple links in there. So you should be able to open this up on your podcast player. We have a summer virtual tour going on right now. There's a bunch of free content, but we had 42 speakers on there, and we're talking everything from cold email to cold calling to LinkedIn, personal branding, all kinds of cool stuff. It's free. It's live. Check it out in there. It's called the Think Outside the Script Summer Virtual Tour. And the other thing, too, is go to blissfulprospecting.com slash podcast. Again, linked up in the show notes there on your podcast player. Just click on it. You're going to find a bunch of links to the stuff we talked about today and then also back on our website where we have a ton of other free content on prospecting. So again, cold emails, cold calling, LinkedIn, everything you need to know to send smarter cold outreach so you can land more meetings with your ideal clients. And without further ado, let's get to the interview with Lou. 
So one of the things that we talked about when we uh, first had a chat and you, you'd like something I posted on LinkedIn, I, I think, and I had reached out. It's like, hey, you know, what are you hearing from prospects? Are you having any challenges? You're like, no, actually, like things have been going really well. <laughs> so I was like, I want to talk to this guy. <laughs> but um, I think it'd be kind of cool to start with your background because we have some, uh, a lot of things in common, actually, and how we got into sales in the industries, at least we're selling into. But what was your first sales job? What, what were you doing? Yeah. So um, first sales job ever was like an inbound order taking type role at dish. Yep. Um, right. Which, which is great. Taught me a ton, like taught me overcoming objections, how to handle getting credit cards, those types of things. Like all the, you know, like I, there was one situation I like to tell a story. I mean, cause I've evolved obviously since then, but um, there was a time at dish, all you had to do was get someone's credits qualify and then also have them have $1 on their credit card. And there was a situation where the guy's credit qualified, but he couldn't, he didn't have the $1 on his card. So I had him going from neighbor to neighbor in his apartment complex, asking some people if they could, you know, borrow his credit card for one dollar. So, <laughs> so that was like my first experience of just like get the card, move on, you know. Um, from there, went on to software sales for the first time, um, and have been in that real space for you know the last um, six or seven years or so. Uh, but along the way, I've evolved to your point, right? From this kind of commodity supplier, volume, 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 like strategic, hey, finger guns type salesperson to a strategic ad- advisor is my goal and, and really a sales professional. And there's, there's a big difference, I think, between like a salesperson and a sales professional. And it's important to start there, right? Like a, a salesperson, um, you, you've heard the saying, like, this guy's so good, he can sell ice to an Eskimo, right? Yep. Well, in part, part in the part in the term, but you know, there's there's no ethical reason for you to sell ice to somebody who lives in an area covered with ice, right? Now, mm-hmm. really understand what your business is, what your day to day looks like, what issues are you seeing all the time, and then how can I show you what my product can do for you, and more importantly, what can you do now that you're not doing with my product, right? That's the difference, and and being able to very easily and efficiently, um, efficiently, efficiently, I struggle with that too, but, uh, elaborate that to them. Got it. And so your second job was at home advisor, right? Your second sales job. Right. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that real quick. Cause that's, cause we used to at my old company purchase a ton of leads from home advisor. So another commoditized sure. space where you're selling leads where people can get leads anywhere. Right. Um, right. what were you, Let's get into this shift that you made because that's kind of the theme for what we're talking about today, moving from a commodity supplier to a strategic advisor. What happened? How did you make that shift? Was it, did you read a book? Was there a mentor? Like what just like all of a sudden struck you on the head and you're like, oh man, I'm just, people just look at me like a commodity. <laughs> um, I, well, yeah, that's, a, that's a great question. It actually was a person um, that recommended a book to me, uh, Selling to the C-Suite is the book mm-hmm. that... Um, really, uh, really changed um, just my view on sales and, and what that is, um, you know, and it's, it's really a master class breaks down on, on why salespeople are annoying for the most part or why people consider them annoying and, and why people have a tough time moving sales processes along. And I start seeing, wow, I'm doing all these things, right? I'm not doing anything to differentiate myself. Like all my, 100% of my conversations is dial through a list hit them with my same intro and spit a bunch of stuff at them and hope that one of those things they find interesting and then take them through the same process. I take everyone else. So when I first started on, when I understood that, well, okay, my product, although it's, it could be the same, like every situation is unique. 
right? That's when that was the first mental shift that I think really had to take place. And we talk about it all the time, but people don't actually act on it, right? They see these posts, they listen to these podcasts, they do these things and they see there's great actionable advice, but people don't actually act on the advice. And that's why we're stuck in these awful sales cycles. What made you start to act on the advice? Because this is just another book, right? You've, you read the book. What, made, what was different for you? What made you actually decide to take action? Because I agree with you 100% on that, man. Um, really, it, it was just a leap of faith and trusting a process. Because up until that point, I didn't really have a process, right? My process was like, dial, hope I hit my number, um, and, and hope that things work out. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I feel like that's like a lot of people's processes initially. Um, And so I think for me, it was identifying like I need something first off and then trusting the process. And I think a lot of times like with just sales, you know, sales professionals trust their process. I like I was talking to my wife about this the other day because I make bomb ribs. Right. And (laughs) my process (laughs) process I use for these ribs is I'll grill the ribs. I'll sear the ribs first on the grill and then I'll put them in a pan, let them cook um, in the oven for five hours with a little bit of cherry cola in there, pull Mm -hmm. them out finish them on the grill. They're awesome. Right. I know that without a doubt, if I follow that process every single time, I'm going to have a delicious meal. Like I just know it. Right. And and there's these other things that I know life works that way, but I wasn't applying that to sales. So I was like, that was the first thing, figure out the process. And then that process for me just made sense. It was more appealing to me. It was more fun for me. Like sales sucks. If you're doing the same things that everyone else is doing, sending thousands of emails, getting 1% response rates, getting ghosted on meetings, having deals fall through. Yeah, that doesn't sound enjoyable at all, right? But when you start going through and you're like, okay, instead, let me look at not this prospect, but as this potential customer, and let me look at their business. Let me look at where they're potentially having issues with and where I can solve them and then pointing that out to them. Like that's a whole nother process. That's not even sales. That's like problem solving and, and trying to help people. And when you come at it from that, that, that really just, shifts not only you know your thought process i think but also on the perception of the person on the other end of the phone receiving the message i love this man i i was doing some research on pattern interrupts just to understand where that came from and you've heard of that right like in sales like people say pattern interrupt do something different well pattern interrupt actually came from how people deal with overcoming bad habits and addiction that's where it originally started so it was how to create a pattern interrupt like in your day uh, when something particular comes up. So if it was kind of eating unhealthy, for example, it's like identify the thing that went wrong. And like, what are the things that I do that lead up to that? You know, having the junk right. food around all the, but like completely interrupt your normal pattern. Actually, a better example was when I was living in California, I was kind of out of shape, eating really bad. This is in 2013. And then my brother, Travis moves down with me and he's like, no, we're going to get up at six o'clock in the morning, go lift weights. It completely interrupted my daily pattern work out first thing in the morning, eat good food, et cetera. And I think that with this pattern interrupt, that's exactly what it sounds like you did. You're like, I'm going to completely interrupt the way that I normally go about this and do it a completely different way. And oftentimes what that does is that creates the pattern interrupt for the prospect too, because you're doing something different than every other salesperson is doing. So, and this is so cool. So this, this problem solving, yeah, you're hundred percent right. This problem solving mentality. Can you, Actually, it might be good for you to share who, who do you sell to right now? And like, what are you uh, doing at the current company that you work for? And I think that'd be kind of a good segue into how you take this approach with your prospecting. Absolutely. So um, I work for a great company called Channel Advisor. Um, you know, our, our goal is to optimize the world's commerce. Uh, we do that 
by identifying um, partners to work with that we can strategically help grow and make their e-commerce operations efficient, whether that be from inventory management, optimizing keywords, Amazon advertising, digital marketing, um, automating day-to-day workflows that prevent um, strategic growth plans. Like basically we're a one-stop shop for e-commerce operations. So um, I'm fortunate to be working for a, a leader in the space. Like I, no bias. I, I don't believe there's a company that does better than us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and B, I'm in a space that's growing rapidly because of obvious reasons, right? Due to COVID. How many times have you heard that? Due to COVID. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so th- those are, those are unique, but, and, and, and that said, because my product and our, our offering is so vast and there's so many things that we do to help our partners, um, it's, it's, I'm an advantage because I can look at a lot of areas and say, wow, I can help here, 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 and here. Like one um, real basic example I'll give you is, so on Amazon, there's a, a advertising strategy that savvy marketers will use called conquesting. And what that means basically is, is you'll go in and you'll um, conquest the brand names of other competitors, like with the hope that a person that's identified their product is coming to buy it on Amazon because 51% of American households have prime accounts, right? They'll search for that competitor and your product will pop up. So I take the approach of looking for working with lifestyle companies that are really focused on growing their brand, keeping their brand um, consistent across all channels. So like I'll identify, if I identify that as an issue, I'll reach out to a chief marketing officer and I'll create a vidyard and I'll say, Hey, this is a big problem for you on Amazon advertising. I know that branding is a big part of what you do. Well, this company is conquesting your name here. This company is conquesting your name here. Here's how we can help. And my call to action is never give me your time. It's if you're interested in having a conversation about how we can um, optimize your Amazon advertising um, operations or look at just your entire e-commerce operations as a whole, feel free to respond to this email. You know, so I would say that's, that's one good example, but that's how you find value. Look for your product know your customer. And that's another thing too. understand like who your customer is. And because if you don't understand who your customer is, how can you possibly provide the value? Right. And then provide and then be able to take what you know and provide that value very clearly. Unlike that last sentence. Yeah. (laughs) Let's, uh, (laughs) let's break that down. Uh, One thing I want to point out that you did, I think this so good there around the approach is it's like you created a, a need to actually hop on a call. It wasn't like we work with companies like you and like we're so great at this stuff. It's like, no, I found a problem. I don't know if you're aware of it or not. And your call to action is, again, not a request for time necessarily. And it's, it wasn't even interested in chatting more. It's interested and then it's like this specific thing. And then it was this really soft call to action, right? Yes or no, you're interested in chatting, right? It's a very low barrier of entry kind of way to respond. But let's backtrack and break down what you talked about. So in order to be a strategic advisor, you got to know like who the people are is what you sort of alluded to that you're reaching out to. So what are the personas that you're working with and how did you go about figuring out on a strategic level, like what their priorities are and like what they, what they care about? How did you, how did you get started with that? That's a great question. And, you know, I mean, you, uh, hopefully you're working for a sales organization that has a lot of other case studies to go off of. <laughs> so you're, you know, it's, it's as simple as going in and looking at these opportunities, listening to phone calls and, and getting a good understanding when you're onboarding of what are, like, what is, how does this decision process get done? Who are the people that are actually being talked to? Is it the CMO? Is it a CTO? Is it an operations person? Like, what are the different, what are the different departments I'm going to need to engage first off there? 
knowing that, knowing you're going to have to navigate those and then planning how you're going to engage each individual department. Like for example, the marketing thing, right? My solution, we can help every department in, in your business. I mean, I, my, I'm getting my foot in the door by presenting a marketing problem, right? In my outreach, I'll point that out to them. In my conversations that I'm having with the marketing, with my marketing person, I'm going to be looping in, like just dropping, name dropping other people that I'll know I need to work with throughout the process as well, right? So now I'll tie in, oh, well, we can talk to Nick in operations. So, and I'm laying kind of the groundwork to move the process along from department to department. So first off, know what the cycle is. And you can do that by just knowing what your sales cycle is like. So you're, you're stepping back and doing some pre, what is your guys' typical deal size, by the way? Uh, so, our, so depending on the group, so we have a few different groups. We have like, yeah. an, uh, you know, but uh, my, my group average deal size is about $50,000. Yeah. Um, so these are good mid-market, you know, kind of deal sizes. And do you work primarily in mid-market or do you get into the enterprise Fortune 1000 kind of space or like who, what type of companies? See, that's, that's unique. Uh, so the way that our breakdown works internally, um, we can work up to companies that have a certain threshold. It's a high threshold. Yeah. Um, so it's really wide open. It's, and, and what I'm seeing now is we haven't really, I think, been ambitious enough as far as the type of relationships and solutions we're providing. I feel like what, what I see coming on here is an opportunity to really expand our relationship and help these brands grow astronomically. Whereas yeah. before the mindset was like, let's just focus on selling them one product, you know, and, and selling them one product. When now there's this like fundamental switch where it's okay, now our goal is to really be this strategic partner for our brands and take them through a much larger process. That makes yeah. sense. No, that makes sense. Yeah. And the reason I was asking, I think it provides good context into why it's worth it to spend time doing some of this research when you're selling something that costs 50,000 bucks, where it sounds like there's right. a lot of opportunity to upsell and stuff like that too. Um, so, yeah. And I do want to point out something though, Jason, sorry to interrupt, but like, I'm not doing this, like this, this, I'm not doing this with every person, right? Keep it, this would take out, this would take, you would have no time. Like um, I'm identifying 30 and this is something I got from Josh Braun. That's been fantastic. Yeah. Um, is identify is identifying your top 30 and then really focusing like these strategic outreach approaches on, 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 you know, on those top 30. And this is really like my main focus. And then all the other activities, cold calling, stuff like that is just peppered on top. So you, are saying, hey, these top 30, these are like my dream accounts. Essentially, these are the ones that I know if I get them, these are really good logos. They're going to be great to help me land other types of business. And the deal size is going to be pretty healthy. And then like what percentage of, uh, would you say your efforts are spent going after that top 30 versus some of the other types of companies? Uh, honestly, I'd, I'd say it's about 60-40 with the top 30 being 60%. Yeah. And it's, and that's because I'm like, each outreach is very specific, right? It's taking time and it's, and it's not all the same approach. Like a video may be appropriate for some, um, the highly targeted email for another. So it's like a good portion of my time, like my first week of the month is going after that top 30 list and setting up that for that month and speaking to them, laying the groundwork, trying to get those meetings. Like my goal numbers wise out of that top 30, my, my email rates, the open rates are, are ridiculous. I have like a 70% open rate on my top 30 emails. My response rates are at 25%. And so, and I booked and I'm booking about um, six or seven meetings um, out of those top 30s and about five of last month, five of those turned into opportunities. So 
it's a smaller net, but like you said, larger, um, bigger clients, more sophisticated um, process. And really like my goal is with this top 30 is to really like double the average deal size that my organization is doing. So if I can do 30, you know, spending 60% of my time on these 30 accounts and say it only yields, you know, three opportunities, but I close one of those opportunities and that opportunity is a hundred thousand, 150,000. That's a much, that's a much better use of my time in my opinion. Oh, absolutely, dude. So let's yeah. kind of, uh, I think this is really important because we're, we're at a section here where a lot of reps and a lot of companies don't even really talk about this either. They treat every company the same. They you just, Hey, go pursue everyone, do the same exact stuff. And they don't tear out like you are with, Hey, how do I spend more effort with people that are just going to generate a much higher return? So that it ends up being less work for you ultimately per revenue dollar that comes in. So let's get pretty tactical with the, the top 30 um, cause I think it's really brilliant that you tear this out by the way, cause a lot of organizations and reps especially don't, don't do this. So they end up spending the same amount of time on everyone. Um, but how do you tactically go through and decide who the top 30 is going to be? And what does the research look like when you're going after the company in terms of like why this is on your top 30 list and then picking the people, uh, to reach out to, what does that part of the process look like? Right. Um, so for me, and this will be obviously different for every industry, right? But in, my, in product specific, but for me, like I'm looking for lifestyle brands. Um, millennial ran primarily was, um, is a big one for me because they're more open to technologies. We've used it our whole lives. Like we'll even input a piece of technology that's inconvenient if it's cool enough. Uh, so like that, you know, those, those are the, so that's another big thing. Um, people that are generate, that are spending money on Amazon advertising already investing money there. And it's pretty easy for me to tell those just based off sponsored ads, sponsored promotions, things like that, uh, would be the, would be the top three. Um, I would say, cause those, those categories for me, I know that I have a lot of workable room with them inside of our product offering, because I know that they're focused on lowering um, their ACOS and increase, you know, I know all these things to be true and I have roadmaps to how I can do that for them. Um, so that's, that's why I target them directly. Now, it gets a little bit harder to get a foot in the door with these brands, which is why I use the marketing approach because with the lifestyle brand, that's, that's a great way in right off the bat is, and if you are, you know, if you are in a position where you have a lot of different faucets that you're, um, that you're offering can open, so to speak, um, I would say, look for first, look for the opening. That's going to get the, the greatest amount of attention. Marketing is a big one because it's important. Everyone's eyes are on it. Right. And look for that entry. Um, but then know how to navigate the rest of the conversations that you're going to want to have. Got it. So it sounds like you're looking at niches in industries where your company is most successful. So where have we had the most success and where based on the history of doing this, have deal sizes been the biggest, have been people been most receptive to what we're doing, like that kind of thing? Um, I wouldn't say necessarily most success because like the, honestly, the brand category is a new initiative for us as far mm -hmm. as really trying to expand there. And one great thing I think that keeps us leading edge is the fact that we are constantly offering new product offerings based off of the experiences that our current customers are having. So like the brands that we work with now, right. Our offerings that we're, that we have now for managed services, managed digital marketing, managed uh, marketplace services. Like a lot of these offerings have taken, have, been created out of the direct feedback that the brands that we have been working with have had and now been created to go and create this greater experience for up and coming brands. So um, yes and no to answer your question, but yeah, but, but yes, 
these practices work, we know it. So we want to make sure that we're targeting those on those customers. Got it. Okay. And then the second part to this sounded like targeting companies that, cause you sell, I mean, I don't know if you, cause it's a bunch of, it's like you essentially have a technology with a managed service offering attached to it. It sounds like, um, it, it, it can be yes. Yeah. So part of be, this, we have self-service offerings and managed services offerings. So. Yeah. So it sounds like this receptive to technology piece. There's a almost like a mindset component of like, let me make sure to go after companies that are open to changing like their way of doing things, right? Which I think is for a sure. really really big thing. And then you're looking for indicators. So in this case, you're able to find Amazon postings and searches and things like that. But you're looking for outside triggers or events or something going on that I can visually see that they're investing money into this. They care about this type of thing, that sort of stuff. Totally. And like another great way to find out this information, especially for public companies, is like mm-hmm. earnings calls. Yep. 10 right? days. And the, yep. The, they're, yeah. They're all out there. So yeah, you can, it's easy to find initiatives. You just got to do the work, but yeah. Sweet. So you're, that's how you're building this top 30 list. And then for the top 30, like the next part of it, how do you figure out, can you elaborate a little bit more? You mentioned, Hey, marketing is a big problem, but how do you know who you want to reach out to in terms of like job titles and seniority? Who do you typically like to go after first and how much like multi-threading do you do? Like how many people do you bring in at a time? typically when you're prospecting? Um, well, that, that's interesting too, because that's something I wanted to talk to you a little about as far as really involving these C-levels as allies um, early on. So if, like, for example, if there's an opportunity to engage a chief marketing officer because of a branding issue, I will always 100% do that because it's a huge, it's a, it's a huge concern for them. Like one real life example that just you know, recently happened with this um, I won't say the company, but I reached out to them, let them know that there was an issue going on. Literally within 10 minutes, this is their chief marketing officer, large company, you would know it, responded to me, right? And said, Lou, thank you so much for pointing this out. I'm looping in our vice president um, of marketing, as well as our operations manager. Um, will you guys schedule a call with Lou to discuss what's going on here? Right? And now we're in a really good sales cycle. That's probably going to come to fruition here in quarter four. Yep. Um, but so I, I, if there's an opportunity to reach out to a C-level person with a real issue, like I will always, always do that. Um, but if that's not enough, and I understand that's not the case for everything. So more so I'm looking for the day-to-day user that's going to be impacted the most right off the bat. Like, how can I get in? Like for my, you know, my wheelhouse operations people, right? They're the ones that are dealing with e-commerce stuff. They're the ones managing listings, updating inventory, dealing with fulfillment issues. This stuff that literally takes up 15 to 20 hours a day of their life. These tedious tasks that are necessary in order to have any type of fighting chance. You have to do it. Like, well, I'm going to talk to them because my software will do that for you, right? That's the, that's a great in there. And then expanding that conversation, just like the whole sales philosophy, land and expand. It's the same philosophy you want to do with your outreach. So you, unless it's like a really big problem that you can definitely attach big revenue targets to, you're going to save reaching out to the C-suite until you have a, a, a really a conversation. It sounds like that you can do more bottom up. Hey, let's gather and see like how this is affecting people at the bottom. Let's take those insights up. And then do you get that person to help intro you to the top? Or do you just take the information that you gather and then reach out to the top directly? Like what's typically the process there? Yep. Yeah, I do that. And I do it in a respectful way and not in a way like, hey, are you the one making this decision? Like, 
<laughs> like that, I mean, let's be honest, right? Like that yeah. question. So is there anyone else involved in this decision-making process? Basically says, I don't trust that you have any type of real power here. So um, <laughs> in, instead, what I'll do is, again, I'll be really proactive. LinkedIn, it's a great resource and the companies I'm using it have a good presence on it. Their employees are on it. Like I'm knowing who I'm going to talk to next in the process, right? So it's like if I'm talking operationally, I know that that leads directly into advertising efficiency when it comes to e-commerce. So as I'm having catered conversations that are going to naturally go into advertising, I'll start talking about the marketing person's name, right? Who we're going to talk to next. So I'll say, you know, and next, our, our next phone call, we'll definitely want to bring in so-and-so. I'll drop it really casually, like nothing, right? But now it's like starts getting people thinking, oh, okay, I need to involve other people here. It's not just me. And then as I'm looping in and kind of being the leader, so to speak, of looping in the next person, looping in the next person, by the time we get to the end here, right now I'm like, okay, I got five, six people that I've talked to. Now we're all in agreement. We have a real strong case to present to um, our CFO or CTO. Now I have six champions with me in the room as I'm presenting to this person. And I know exactly how I'm making each of their lives better. Got it. So let's use the example with the operations into the advertising folks. So you already know who the person is that you want to loop in next. And you sort of bring this up. How do you make that happen? Is it I send an email and then CC this person and say, hey, I talked to so-and-so. We thought it'd be good for you to loop in. How do, how do you actually make them? Like, what, what's the process, I guess, from you've identified the person, you bring it up in the conversation with your original person A to getting a, on a call with everyone together? What, does the, what happens in between? Great question. I'll ask them if they'll make the intro first off is like my first thing, you know, and then I'll make sure that it makes sense to have the next call. I'm never asking for an intro before we've like identified that we do want to move to the next step. And so after we've had that good conversation, now I'll say, okay, great. This sounds great. I know we had talked about looping in um, Jason earlier, as we're talking about how this will kind of lead into marketing. Do you think it makes sense for us to start having those conversations with him now? Yeah, I do. Uh, well, you know his schedule better than I do. I'm assuming you probably have access to his calendar. Does it look like he has an hour available like in the next week? Uh, let me take a look. Yeah, it does actually. Would you mind making that intro? I can actually hold a tentative spot on my calendar right now, send an intro to you so it's there and, and we can just get a book today. I know, you know, of the path we're on. Yeah, that sounds fine. Again, it's all just leading the, the path, right? I love that, man. That's great. So I've identified the top 30 I know what these companies are. I know who I want to target. When you start going after the initial person, can you kind of get into maybe how you approach them from, like, what are you thinking about in terms of what you decide to talk about messaging wise? And then what does the sequencing and cadencing portion of this look like in terms of calling them, emailing them, hitting the, like, what does, what does all that stuff look like typically? Sure. So it's um, with the top 30, <clears throat> that's the other thing too. It's all very unique, right? It's not like set automated cadences. So you're taking each account as it comes at you. Like as a golfer, my grandpa used to say, let the course come to you. Right? I, that's kind of the same way um, in this whole top 30 world that you're living in. So I, luckily we have sales walk, great tool, right? Gives you up-to-date activities on what's going on. So after I've sent out my initial email and I have my, I have my list and I keep my top 30 in a separate spreadsheet. I know it's archaic, but I do it anyway. And um, that's what I'll work off of. So I'll go through after I've sent my first initial outreaches that are super targeted. It usually takes that first week of the month. And then as I'm coming through week number two, 
I just start going down through that list again. So very simply, I'll just take the contact name, search it in sales loft. It'll show me what kind of um, traction I got on that activity. If they've opened the email or if it's a vidyard that I've sent, I ha I'll send a follow-up email and like call them out, not call them out, but like a lot of times people are just busy, right? And they'll see something that's interesting and they're like, oh, I'm going to get back to that. But then they just forget. And I think we oftentimes, you know, Kevin Dorsey says this a lot, like people just, we don't assume good intent all the time. Um, but I'll just like remind them, you know, if they've watched a video and they'll say, Hey, um, I noticed you watched that video. If you are interested in talking about these things. Um, and then my follow-up subsequently will be on that theme. Like my, my rule of thought, like my thought processes, unless they tell me to basically kick rocks, I'm going to keep sending them emails as to how I can think they can help them. Maybe I missed the mark the first time, but I'm still diving into their company on a daily basis. I'm following them on sales navigator. I'm seeing their posts. I'm following their employees. I'm seeing what's important to them. So if something pops up that I didn't initially know about, right? I still have my pulse on that account. I'm going to email them about that. Hey, you, you posted about this. We can help here until they tell me to stop essentially. So week one, it sounds like you're spending all the time figuring out top 30, who's on that list. I'm going to do the research. I'm going to follow these people on sales nav. I'm going to follow the accounts, the contacts, et cetera. How many people do you reach out to at a time at each account usually? Uh, yeah. So it takes, it takes, like I said, a good week to get through those 30 to do it meaningfully and right. Yeah. Like I'm usually doing like six, six a day through that first week. Um, yeah. How many so people though? To, to do, yeah. How many people do you oh, go after at each account? Do I go after each? It, it depends. Uh, honestly, it can be one person. If it's like a, if it's a small lifestyle brand, that's yeah. one CEO that's operating everything. Right. But it, it just really depends on how many people are going to be involved. Got it. Okay. I know that's kind of a lame answer, but yeah. <laughs> so would you go after three to five people, let's say at a time at maybe a bigger company? For, oh, for a more organization. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm understanding. I was misunderstanding the question. Yes. There's an example right now that I'm doing that. So on my top 30, um, there's a company um, in Canada, eh? But uh, they're, <laughs> great. <laughs> you know, they're a great company. I've identified them. Like they, I, I know that they could, they are, they're already doing phenomenal things. I know they'll do great things with, them, with us. Getting a lot of traction with their president who I've been trying to reach out to. Like She's been reading my emails. If you're listening to this, I know you've been reading my emails. But <laughs> she's, she's been reading my emails but hasn't been responding. So I actually started looking, okay, who else can I get in? So um, now I second person I reached out to different approach operations person this time. Now I actually have a meeting with that, uh, with him set for next week. So, um, my, I guess to answer your question, start with the most influential person. If you're not getting any traction there, then start looking for other opportunities. And that's when you start kind of tearing like we were talking about earlier. Right. Got it. So week one, I'm spending most of the time going through those top 30, identifying them, sending that first email. And is there anything that you can lend any just insights around the structure of the email around, you know, just you open up, do you talk about a problem? Is it always a problem that you talk about and then talk about how you can fix it? And is it, what, what kind of format do you like to follow generally with your messaging on the emails? Yeah. So subject line's huge, right? I mean, that's, that's a big thing. So I, and my subject lines aren't ever really longer than five words, like some effective ones that I've used big problem, Amazon advertising. Right. Yeah. And with that, and with that subject line, I'll put a vidyard with me actually showing what that problem is. Like that email has a, I think it's, it's something ridiculous, like a 98% open rate. Yeah. Because if, if you're like, if you're a CMO and you get that, you're going to open it. Right. And then you click yeah. it and you're like, okay. Um, is the main one. Um, so subject line um, so, um, length is very important. Also 
sounding very friendly in the subject line, I think is important. Like, um, I got this from, uh, I forget, I forget his name. He's over at Gong IO. Devin, I believe is his name. Yep. Um, but you know, he points out that a lot of automated subject lines are all, uh, um, capitalized stuff like that. So I, I really don't use any capital capitalization in my subject lines either. Keep them all lowercase. I think about when you're emailing a friend, you just shoot a quick one, like, Hey, check this out. Um, that, but to like, as far as like specific out, like, as far as specific themes, again, it's, it's so, it varies so much from account to account, right? Some is going to be, yes, here's a problem. Some's going to be, here's an opportunity, right? Like, were you aware that, uh, were, were you aware you're not wearing, you know, you may not be winning the buy box X amount of times because of this, 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 and this, right? And pointing out opportunities, guys, this problem. So it's, it's really just like, not so much saying I need to show a problem or an opportunity. It's showing the impact. What can I show that's going to be impactful, whatever that is. Got it. So that first week, is it just the one email that you send to each uh, person that you're reaching out to and you wait until the second week to look at where the engagement is? Because yeah, it usually takes me about the full week to get through actually sending um, the first, you know, the first layout of, excuse me, first contacts to everyone. And I've tried it before where I started following up with people like the next day and stuff after I sent the first one. But what ended up happening was, is I would get like only through 10 outreaches, I was getting follow-ups and I, my whole process was getting boggled down. Mm-hmm. So now I just like to wait until all my top 30 have at least one outreach out and it's out there. And then from there, I really utilize sales lot to see um, where, where the um, activity is coming from. Because once you identify the top 30, then you got to even identify from there. Now, where are my real opportunities within the top 30? Just because you've identified them as a brand doesn't mean they want to talk to you. Right. So I'll send 30 and now, okay, now I have like three or four that are really engaged with the stuff that I'm sending. That's how I'm going to prioritize my time um, going forward. Got it. And then, so week two, you're focusing on, Hey, people opening up emails, showing engagement. Do you just keep sending more emails? Do you call these people LinkedIn? Like what, what, how do you decide what to do next? Right. So like previously I've done phone calls, always done phone calls, phone calls, phone calls, like channel advisor. I'm trying something a little bit new. It's a new approach. And so I honestly don't have um, the success rates on it yet. We're going to see here probably within six months or so, you know, but um, I'm finding that just following up with emails of these people with really good stuff and like actual giving resources that actually matter, not just saying, Hey, here's a link to my success story page. Now you go do the homework and look at 20 different success stories and figure out which one's applicable to you, right? But actually finding real stuff that is really relatable to them and just providing that stuff to them, keeping them engaged is way with that really, I guess you could call it lame call to action of just, are you interested in talking? That works really well because then eventually they just kind of inbound to me saying, okay, yeah, I'm actually am interested in talking about this. The overwhelming response oftentimes in out of that list is, hey, sorry, Lou. Um, I, th- this has been on our radar. I appreciate the videos. I appreciate the follow-up. We've just been really busy. We do want to schedule a time to talk about it. Got it. So it sounds like these resources are pretty key. Is this content that your company makes or do you find resources elsewhere? Like how do you figure out what to share with them and does your company provide it? Do you find it? How do you make it kind of bite-sized for the prospect? It's a really good combination of both. I think it's important. Uh, if you want to be that strategic advisor, to be able to pull in resources from um, things outside of your sphere, right. Mm -hmm. To be able to say, to be able to say, Hey, you know what, this is a competitor of ours, but they actually do this really well. And to have the confidence and to be able to say, like share an article from a competitor, like that's, that says a lot about your company, I think, and who you are. 
right? If you find, if I find a great article that was written about Amazon advertising, and just because it was written by a competitor of mine or a blog post by a competitor, I'm doing my client a disservice if my real goal is to help their business by not sharing that with them. So yeah, I'll share in resources wherever I find that they'll be helpful. And of course, we'll use internal resources too. But I think um, that's a good point to call out is a real strategic advisor isn't afraid to say, here's some great resources, but ultimately I know our product stands on its own. Dude, <laughs> that's ballsy. <laughs> yeah, I think most people would be like, oh God, I don't even want them to know about my competitors. But this is, you know, Todd Capone wrote that book, Transparency Sale. And this is sort of leaning in with that. It's like, dude, they're going to know who your competitors are at any point anyways. If you're the top yeah. person at what you do in your, uh, at your company, or your company is, excuse me, people are going to know about your competitors, right? So right. that's that's really interesting. So from there, is that what you spend the rest of like weeks two, three, and four on the month and uh, is pursuing people that are engaging, continuing sending helpful emails where you find it and everything's very custom uh, from what it sounds like. Right. And then you have a really good idea usually by about, I would say three weeks into the month of, of which brands this is gaining traction with and which are, it's not at all. Cause there will be a lot that it doesn't at all, but don't even open any of your emails. Right. But that, and it's like from there, I can say, okay, I've gotten these brands that say now's not the time. Great. I'm going to keep them in my book of business and just keep funneling them information as I see fit. I maybe won't focus on them for next month or going forward as a high priority, but the brands that have zero engagement with me, now I can cut bait with them and say, I guess, you know, timing's not right. They're at least exposed to channel advisor. If they decide to come back and talk to us later, that's a win for the company, right? But um, I think that's important too, is being able to identify top 30s, but just as quickly being able to say, uh-uh, it's not working and move on. So you're constantly adding top new um, potential partners to the top of your funnel. You don't want a stale book of business and this prevents that. So how do you uh, determine how many times you're going to reach out to an account before you give up? Like what, what is your general rule? Is it just that 30 day period and then you move on to something else? If it's, act, it's activity based for me. Mm-hmm. So if they're, at, if they're opening my emails, right. Um, constantly, if they're, but they're just not responding. Like I'm obviously saying something that's resonating with them. There's some interest there. So I'm just going to keep calling out to them, sending them emails, sending them up until, like I said, they tell me to stop, right. Which they will, people will tell you to stop if you're annoying them. So, or they'll mm-hmm. put you on the unsubscribe list. Um, so that, that, that's the main thing. I, I, I base it off activity, zero activity accounts. I don't even really mess with them. You know, I'm like, I, I've, I've done my job. I've identified some really great, um, opportunities or problems for you have gone through a lot of effort to get that in front of you, to show it to you. If you watched it and you've I said, you know what, it's not a priority for me. I'm not going to like focus my energies on making that mind shift for you. Instead, Got I'm going to focus on finding brands that this is a better fit for. And I guess to kind of button this up a little bit structurally with your week, I know you spend about 60% of the time on these top 30. How do you go about structuring like the time blocking aspect of this stuff? Do you like to do this stuff in the morning, the afternoon? Like how does, how do you block and tackle your week typically? Yeah, mid definitely like outreach out golden hours. They're called right. Like the eight to two time. That's when I'm sending like my main emails to my top thirties and keep in mind too. It's like, every month I have a top 30, right? And every month I'm adding few or, or dropping a few, but ultimately like I, I, I kept my book of business at 150 accounts at any time and I'm actively working. So like the goal is like within six months, you just have 150 prime picked accounts that you have really great dialogues and meaningful strategic relationships with. Right. Um, yeah. I'm sorry. I got lost in my train in my head there for a second. <laughs> but, 
<laughs> no, from eight to <laughs> two, it sounds again. like, yeah, from yeah. eight to yeah, two, eight it sounds two, like are the golden two. hours. <laughs> and that's where you're going to spend yeah. most of the time prospecting. And then do you typically try to take meetings in the outreach? Uh, that's, when I, that's when I'm outreaching and sending out information to them because they're actually looking and viewing stuff. And yeah. then meetings, I only, I, like, I never do meetings Monday or Friday. Like, very stern on that. Like, beginning of the week, really tough for everyone, especially in my industry. Like, all the reports that are coming in, all that. If you do get a meeting, they're not even going to be paying attention to you. Friday in any industry, like, you're not going to have very many meaningful conversations there. And that's, like, the end of the month. But, yeah. <laughs> um, so, I try to keep meetings, you know, um, in the afternoons and, and Wednesday through Thursday. Or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Got it. And then the focus, it sounds like, outside of that is I'm just hammering, like, outreach the rest of the time outside of those meetings. Right. Um, outreach, building those relationships, sending out, looking for resources, constantly looking for my next month, um, new, you know, top 30, because what ends up happening is if you, if you, once you start to develop these sales cycles and you start to develop opportunities as a strategic partner, they're very complex and they start to take a lot of your time. So a lot of your, once I start getting three or four opportunities, like that's really all I can handle from just an efficiency standpoint and, and quite honestly, from giving my potential customer the best experience, you know, it, with the type of deal that I'm trying to do. So, uh, yeah, it's a different, it's a different way of thinking. It's definitely adverse to the whole, um, quantity or quality, you know, for sure. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, we got a couple of minutes left here. Is there one other resources that you'd recommend checking out besides selling to the C-suite or any other words of wisdom around like making this transformation into a more you know, strategic advisor? Yeah. Um, well, I, I think that that book right there is, is really just the number one recommendation I would make. Like if you haven't read it, if it's not a part of your library, um, re- read it immediately. I mean, it, I, honestly, and it, again, it depends on the sale that you're, that you're a part of right? Like if you're doing SMB sales, software, enterprise sales, strategic sales, this is a must read book for you. And if you're not reading it, like you're at a huge disservice. And honestly, I, I, out of all the books I've read, and I've read a bunch of them, um, there's not even one that comes close to it. That's the only one worth mentioning. I would say resource from that, <laughs> that, I, that I would throw out there as far as like a game changing book. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, cool. I'll throw that out there. Sweet, man. Any podcasts or any other favorite people? You mentioned a few, Kevin Dorsey, which I, I love. Love Josh Braun's stuff. Yeah. Anyone else you recommend following or any other person's uh, stuff that you like to consume or podcasts or anything like that? Yeah, I lo- uh, love all those guys. Um, Nick Sigelski, I think uh, I may be butchering his last name. I just came across him recently. Um, he posts a lot of good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, hosts 30, um, 30 Seconds to President's Club as well. Yep. Um, in fact, I just um, I, I, I listened to... Um, episode zero last night, and it sounds pretty like some pretty good stuff. So I'm excited to start listening to this podcast. Uh, but I think there's a ton of you know. I mean, if you're if you're in the sales game, you know who the influencers are, right? I'm not going to say a lot of names that I think anyone knows. I think the main thing is is actually putting into practice the stuff that these people are saying, and also understanding that not all advice is made equal, and it's not always applicable to you. So really understanding like what person best emulates your your sale, and then taking that advice and applying it to your world. No, love it, man. Yeah, uh, this has been great, dude. Uh, tons of takeaways. I love this top 30 approach. I love this, like being a strategic advisor. Good stuff, man. Um, we'll link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes, but where is that where people should go to connect with you? Anything else you'd like people to check out or do or anything like that? Yeah, you can uh, connect with me on LinkedIn, of course. Um, always always accepting connections. I'm far off from 30,000, so feel free. Uh, <laughs> and uh, if you if you enjoy you know, golf, 
content and baby content, you can follow me on Instagram at Lou Ferrigbro. I know it's a great name. Woo. That was definitely one of the more fun interviews I've done for sure. Uh, one thing that I still am thinking about is this whole theme of commodity supplier to strategic advisor. Yeah, and I think the big takeaway is like really think about how can you be more of a resource for your prospects? It doesn't mean that you have to be the know-it-all. You just got to know about like what's going on in their industry, what's going on with their competitors. You don't have to be smarter in their business or at their role than they are. That's, that's not the point at all. How can I be smarter about what I am uh, able to share with them? So are you gathering industry insights? Do you have a good pulse on their competition and how their competitors are stacking out compared to them? Do you have a good pulse on how similar companies that are either in a same similar industry, selling a similar product or service, similar business model, whatever it might be that you work with at your company, clients that you have, are you really aware of what they're doing right now to succeed and win? Because that's what your prospects want to know. So think about that. How can you move from a commodity supplier to a strategic advisor? That's my takeaway today. Before you take off, I really appreciate you tuning into the podcast. It would really mean a lot if you left a review, just an honest review with what you thought of the show. So if you dig it, leave an honest review. You can do it on iTunes through the podcast player right there on your phone. Scroll down to the very bottom. Let me know what you think and would really appreciate your feedback. I'll talk to you soon.